1924, the Paris Olympics, Bill Havens was part of the very first U.S. canoe racing team. In fact, the Olympics had just allowed for canoe racing that year. It's a four-man team, and the U.S. team was favored to win the gold. Remember, there were no airplanes in 1924 that could have taken you back and forth across the Atlantic. Havens's wife was expecting a child due at exactly the time he was supposed to be competing in the Olympics in Paris. Priorities. He had to decide what was most important to him. He really couldn't, he thought, do both. And so in one of the um, history of the Olympics' most really difficult decisions, Bill Havens decided to forego the Paris Olympics and to stay home with his wife in Northern Virginia who was giving birth to a son. You know, the irony of it is the son wasn't born until a couple of weeks later. So he actually could have gone to the Olympics and he could have sailed home and been there. He was often asked the question through the years later, do you regret not being there? The team won gold. And he said, not for a minute. I've lived my whole life, he said, with respect to my son, with no regrets. He was far more important to me than anything else. You know, clarifying our priorities appears to me to be one of the things God wants us to do in the middle of um, just the craziness that's going on in the world and in the U.S. right now. We've been through the pandemic. We've been through the shutdown, just the tragedies of the last week. And uh, there, there are a lot of things I think we're supposed to do and a lot of things that we're supposed to learn. I'll mention some of them today, and we'll probably need to talk about them for some time to come as well. But clearly, one thing God wants us to do is to ask the question, what is most important to us? You know that pain and suffering and disappointment are tools that God uses to help us clarify who we are. When things are going great, when you're standing on your feet and the wind's against your back and the horizon is gorgeous, you rarely stop and ask life's most important questions. It's only when our feet have been kicked out from under us when we've been stripped of some of our dignity, when we're anxious and scared, when we can't sleep at night, when times are tough, that's when we really ask the question, what's most important? And that leads me to a really important book in the Old Testament. It's only two chapters. It's the third from the last book of the Old Testament. I'd like for you to turn there. It's the book of Haggai. The Hebrews say Haggai. His name, Haggai is the name of a guy. His name means festival or really it means party. And that's because God called this man, who may well have been in his 70s when he preached his sermons, God called this man to restore the joy of the people of Israel after their exile. I chose the language of an exile to talk about uh, North Boulevard when the pandemic struck and we were all uh, largely confined to our homes except for what was deemed uh, uh, you know, most important or necessary. And as we're coming out of some of the exile, a group of some of us ministers got together and we thought, you know, Haggai would be a great story for us because Haggai talks about what it's like when you're coming out of the exile. So we know a little bit about his background. In the year 539 before Christ, the king of the Persian Empire said to the Jews, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of God. And about 50,000 were led back by a guy named Zerubbabel, hard name to say. But when they got there, they got busy worrying about their own things. There was conflict. 
There were people in the surrounding countries who did not want them to restore the city of Jerusalem or build the temple. And so for nearly 20 years, they didn't do anything. They just let the house of God lay in disrepair. And finally, God said to Haggai, I need you to go preach to the people and tell them, put my house first. In fact, let me read to you just an excerpt or two from the book. I'm in chapter 2 where God actually explains to them that one reason why things have been so bad is because they weren't putting God first. Listen to this, verse 15. Give careful thought to this from this day forward. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, and you still did not return to me. So God is saying, one reason why there is so much stress is because God wants us to put him first. He, I, I don't want to, there's so much theology here that we're going to have to unpack. It may take us a year to unpack it all. But the, just the nutshell theology is whoever caused all of this, our evil, nature, whatever you want to say, God is using this to say, it's time to put me first. Now it's time to put me first. In fact, that's what he argues. He says, when you fail to put me first, not only do I not get the satisfaction of you worshiping me, but you don't get any satisfaction either. Listen to verse 6 of chapter 1. You planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never get your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, you put them in a purse with holes in it. Give careful thought to your ways. What he says is, when you put me first, I will take care of everything. Remember how Jesus put it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his rightness, and then all these things will be given to you. He says, go build my house. Build my house. Verse 8. Chapter 1, go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I can take pleasure in it and be honored. He says, I'll be with you. Go over to chapter 2, the opening text where he says to Zerubbabel down in verse 4, he says, be strong, Joshua, be strong, Zerubbabel, all you people, work, I'm with you, I covenanted with you. And then, this is the beautiful text. So for the 80 of you who are gathered at this campus, we have people at West Campus and also Smyrna Laverne Campus. Our Latino campus is also meeting today. But maybe 80 who are with me right now. Listen to what he says. He asks the question, do you remember what it used to look like? Does it feel small right now? I'm, I'm just telling you it feels small to me right now. One service and we're barely filling even just a few rows here. Listen to what God says. When you do my will, he says, in a little while I will shake that. I'm in verse 6, chapter 2. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. His promise says when we put him first, he will take care of the rest. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that what I mean is put North Boulevard first. Now that you're coming out, send us your checks. Make sure I get my paycheck. Make sure you go back and do a lot of ministry. Make sure you do all the stuff we've been asking you to do. You know what? That is not what I'm saying. In fact, don't put North Boulevard first. Put the kingdom of God first. 
In fact, the only reason North Boulevard exists is to help you become like Jesus. You don't exist to help us. We exist to help you. And if we spend everything we have making disciples of all nations and one day we cease to exist, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to us if we made disciples of all nations. Another thing you might be thinking, you might be thinking that I'm telling you that that long to-do list that you have, you need to add a few more things to it so you can be like Jesus. I am not saying that. In fact, most of you, your big problem is not that you didn't put a lot of Jesus stuff in your to-do list. For most of you, the problem is you just got too many things on your to-do list. I'd cut some of the stuff out. What I'm saying is everything you do in word or in deed, put God first in it. That's all I'm saying. Put God first. Put God first in your marriage. I'm not saying get a new wife, another husband. I'm not saying do more. I'm saying do the right thing in the right way for God. I'm just give you this. This is a real quick challenge. You tend, so marriages, some marriages, I, I, I've been, again, I've been calling some of you guys. It's so encouraging to talk to you. Sometimes sad, but sometimes encouraging. More on that in a second. But I just talked with someone who said our marriage has gotten even stronger. It's just been so delightful to be home together, working from home and spending time together. But I'm also hearing the opposite, which is it's been a real strain on us. And I've heard some of you say this, and I'm not criticizing you. I'm for you. I'm on your team. I need to work on my marriage. Okay. I just want you to know that's a great phrase. I need to work on my marriage. Everybody just say that. If you're married, you can say that. We're for that. Okay. We're for that. But let me tell you something that's even better. Here's what's even better than saying that. I need to work on myself as the husband God wants me to be. You see, when I say I need to work on my marriage, what I often mean is I need to work on Julie and make sure she's everything I wanted her to be. And that, not, A, I was never asked to do that by God. It's not in my job description. And B, it doesn't work. It makes it worse. My job is not to try to make sure my wife does everything I want her to do. My job is very simple. God gave me a one-sentence job description. Not 300 pages, not 70,000 pages, one sentence. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's it. So what I want to do when I reprioritize my, my life is say, Lord, I want to be a husband like Jesus would be a husband. That's what I want to be. That's what I'm going to work on. That's my priority coming out of this pandemic. I'm going to be a better husband. If you're a wife, you know how long your job description is? Hey, wives, you know how long your job description is? It's one sentence. Wives, respect your husband. And by the way, he doesn't say so long as or unless or if they, one sentence. Even better than working on your marriage is saying, Lord, make me Jesus in my marriage. Hey, you can do it with your money too. Lord, make me Jesus with my money. How many more toys do you need? When there's a whole world that we can minister to, how many more toys do we need? I'm telling you, I can tell, you, I can tell your priorities with the three C's. Your checkbook, your calendar, and your conduct. When I look at those, I know what your priorities are. What I'm suggesting is Haggai says, you wonder why life's not what it ought to be. The answer is because you didn't put God first. Put God first. How about your mission in life? I'm not asking you to add a discipleship group to your life. You know that. You know I'm not asking you to add a discipleship group. You know what I'm asking you to do? If you, if you sell 
what, I don't even know what they sell anymore, Avon or whatever it is, makeup, real estate. If you're a school teacher, I'm not asking you add a discipleship group. I'm asking you do your job while making disciples. Let your job be the way you make disciples. Start treating everybody you interact with as a potential follower for Jesus. Treat them as someone who is not, I love this phrase, not yet a believer. Not yet a believer. I want to interact with everybody as, unless they're already a believer, not yet a believer. All they need is for me to help them. So I'm not suggesting take your to-do list and make it bigger so God can be first. I'm saying take everything on your to-do list and do it for the sake of God now. And that brings me to this. Race. So, since, uh, since the murder in Minneapolis, I have been really just trying to call and listen and love on uh, a number of African-American friends of mine, ministers, and also members at North Boulevard. I just want to say a couple of things. I, I think we're going to have to come back to this subject. We need, the church needs to talk about this, so we're going to come back to it. But let me say a few things now. My heart is so heavy. I hear stories from my brothers and my sisters, members of this church. I went to an auto dealership. Nobody ever served me. Nobody would even wait on me. That's not 1960. It's not 1860. That's this year. I went to a restaurant. I was told it was full. I saw a white couple walk past me and get a seat as I was leaving. That's not 1860. That's not 1619. That's today. The fear every time an African-American mother sends her son out. These are my brothers and my sisters. And we are the people of God. And we have got to stand for justice. That is who we are. It's uncompromising. We cannot back down. We cannot have our people, our people, mistreated like that. Not in 21st century America. I know we're going to have to come back to this, my friends, but let's start right now by saying the right things. I'm reminded of what Micah says. What is it that God requires of you? Remember this, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8? What is it that the Lord requires of you? This too, is not, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. This is what he asks. Walk with justice, walk with mercy, and walk with humility before the Lord. But it's really more than that. Because as the people of God, we are not only advocates for justice, and we must be. If we are not advocates for justice, we have canceled the gospel. But we are also ministers of reconciliation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that God has a ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciling the whole world to himself. And then Paul concludes the whole section down at verse 18 by saying, and we now are ministers of reconciliation. We have the job of crossing racial lines and reconciling with one another. And I really want to put the burden on those of us who are white. If our African-American, I don't know, hey, look, y'all know that, you, give me grace if I don't say something right. I hope it's okay to say this, but if our African-American, I would have to ask the question in a predominantly white church, do they really want me here? I think I'd have to ask that question. Are they secretly on the other side? Do they still have the feelings that, that I remember growing up with, that my grandparents went through, my ancestors went through? And we have got to be 
leaders in reconciliation. I want to make sure you understand, I'm not suggesting that we swap out one injustice for another. This is not an anti-police speech. We've got wonderful white and black police officers who are members of North Boulevard, male and female, and they're salt-of-the-earth good people. We're not swapping one injustice out for another. But what I am saying is this. These problems are real, and we are the people of God. And we have a responsibility to prioritize our lives so that the world knows that people of God stand for justice and for fair and equitable treatment of all people. We stand for that. If you don't stand for that, I don't know that you're a child of God. I just don't know how you can say you are. If you are one, you're an erring one. You've wandered far from the heart of God. So as we prioritize, I I know there's a lot more to say. I'm going to have to come back to it. But as we prioritize, I suspect God is calling us now to say the right thing. That's on Facebook and Twitter as well. Say the right thing. Don't say stupid things and don't say the wrong thing. And then build some reconciliation bridges. I'm going to tell you uh, towards the end of the service, but I want to tell you now. I was talking to a a friend of Roxy Hall. She's down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Her husband, Sam, coached us in how to build a racially diverse church. You guys remember in the year 2017 and into 2018. Roxy called me on uh, Saturday morning, I think it was. I believe it was Saturday morning. The days are kind of running together in my head. She said, I think she's okay with me quoting her. She said, David, you're one of the only, your church is one of the only white churches I know of that cares about this. And my first thing was it just hurt me to hear her say that. And she said, can we get together and pray? And I said, absolutely. So tomorrow night, Monday night, we're going to do a big online prayer service. I'll give you more information about it. You have to go on the website. We, we just started it yesterday, we're, and everything's not worked out. We have some African-American Church Christ ministers from North Carolina and Florida, here in Murfreesboro. We've got some white guys from here, uh, Alabama, I think Georgia. And we just want to get together and pray as the people of God. We want to do that. You guys know that there's actually here in Murfreesboro, I'm told that there's a demonstration or maybe just a a silent march downtown Murfreesboro. And um, I'm just going to say this. If you're in any way commenting on that or engaged in that, be Jesus. Be Jesus. Remember, God says in this book of Haggai, the reason everything is failing is because you guys are not putting me first. I'm sorry, I get choked up thinking about this. Put me first. Put me above your beliefs. Put me above your, all of it. Put me first. Okay. When we come out of a painful week like this week, let's get our priorities right. Put God first. He says, even if you start small, I'll blow it up with my glory. It'll be unlike anything you've ever seen. When Jesus returns, all the nations, all ethnicities will come to him. And all this nonsense will be over with. But in the interim, we put him first. And I just didn't feel a song in me this week. But then I did have someone say to me that they had fallen asleep several nights in a row to my singing. And I thought, well, you're just in deep trouble then if my singing. And I decided I am going to sing a song. I don't know how much longer y'all can stand it or I can't either. But um, Caroline, I want to dedicate this song to you. 
Maybe this summarizes what I think God is teaching us to do in this text, which is put him first. It's an Irish hymn, maybe as much as 13 or 1400 years old in some version. It's changed a lot through the years. And I'm going to try to sing it. Let's see if I can get through it. Just a verse or two. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. I think I missed that last one. Can I do one more verse? So it's a song about priorities. God, I want you to be everything. You're first. I don't have to add a bunch of stuff to my to-do list, but everything on that list is going to be for God from now on. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, be thou my vision, O ruler of all. Hey, listen to this. In 1952, remember this guy I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon? Bill Havens, 1952, he got a cable, overseas cable, from Helsinki, Finland. You see it coming? His son, Frank, had just won the gold medal in Olympic canoeing. Yeah, that son. He sent his dad a cable and he said, Dad, I just won the gold. I'll be home soon. Can't wait to give you your gold medal. You get your priorities right. You put Christ first. He's going to take care of the rest of it. That's what you're supposed to learn from this pandemic. Put God first. Build his temple. And when you do, he says, I'll fill everything with my glory. Let's enter a period of praise.